Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now beginning and going to end chapter 15 in Revelation. The chapter is only eight verses long. I'm going to call it the seven angels with seven bowls of wrath. Our context is this. In chapter 14, the first part of the chapter, we had 144,000 saints. That's the Jewish Christians who are singing a new song. Then we had three flying angels, the first announcing eternal gospel to be spread throughout the whole world, the second saying, woe unto Babylon the great apostate Israel, and the third angel saying, you are doomed if you take the mark of the beast, if you have anything to do with the Roman Empire. So judgment, and then we continue with the theme of judgment at the end of Revelation 14, when the Son of Man, with a sharp sickle, harvests the land, he cuts the grapes, standing for the bad guys, he throws them into the wine press, and he tramples on them. He tramples on the grapes of wrath. He tramples on the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, to quote an unfortunate politicized hymn written at the time of the American Civil War, which I never sing, of course, because it was written by somebody on the wrong side. So we have the spreading of the eternal gospel, but before that gospel spreads, there has to be wrath poured out on the land, those who are hindering the spread of the gospel, and wrath poured out also on the Roman Empire, which is also hindering the spread of the gospel. And so now we are prepared for the seven bowls of judgment that are about to be poured out as a final exhibition of God's wrath on the land of Israel. So we start with verse 1, Revelation 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who have seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Now these seven plagues are said to be the last. It doesn't mean the last ones in history, folks. It's the last ones in the book of Revelation because it's referring to the destruction of Israel, not the destruction of the earth at the end of time. Because in these seven angels, or in these seven plagues that the angels had, the wrath of God is finished. In other words, this is going to be it. This is all there is for Israel. Bye-bye. Of course, that is culminated in AD 70 when the Romans totally destroyed the whole land and turned it into a smoking ruin. The wrath of God is finished. The old covenant world order is about to be abolished forever. Now it says the seven angels have seven plagues. They haven't got the bowls yet because they're going to be handed to them by the one of the living creatures. So I think John is speaking a little proleptically here, a little in advance. They've got the seven plagues where they're going to have the seven plagues. Verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Now the sea of glass is the crystal sea before God's throne. We get a look at that from the earth when we look at Exodus 24.10, and they saw the God of Israel beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. King James has sapphire stone. Lapis lazuli is a brilliant transparent blue. So there was a pavement made of this lapis lazuli as clear as the sky itself. So it's kind of like it's the sky is spread out all under the throne of God. That's again, looking at it from below. Again, looking at it from below, we go to Ezekiel 1.26. Something like a throne with the appearance of lapis lazuli was above the expanse over their heads. The expanse is like the sky. So the throne was above the sky, looking at it from below. On the throne, high above, was someone who looked like a human, and that was the figure of God, as represented in Ezekiel's vision. All right, but now in Revelation, we're looking at the throne of God from above, from within the, the heavenly temple. 
For example, in Revelation 4, verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal, a crystal sea of glass. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind, which we've already talked about. But basically, if you picture in your mind this heavenly scene, you see the throne of God sitting right in the middle of a sea of glass that spreads all around as far as John's eye could see in the vision. A sea of glass like crystal. We're going to assume it's kind of like clear blue like it was seen from below in the visions in Exodus and Ezekiel. Now, that sea of glass corresponds in the temple, in the Old Testament temple, the earthly temple, the brazen sea, as the King James calls it, the brazen laver. If you go out of the holy place in the temple moving from west to east, you go out the front door and you look about four o'clock to the right on a diagonal, there's this big bronze laver full of water. It was, it was a lot of water in it and it was wide. It was big. That's where the priest washed their hands before they did the sacrifices to show that they were clean. And so this is what the sea of glass is supposed to correspond to that we see in, in the heavenly vision. Because remember, as the author of the book of Hebrews said, everything that was constructed in the tabernacle was a reflection of heavenly realities. So we're trying to make the correspondences here. So we see this sea of glass. God's sitting on the throne in the middle of it. Now there's fire mixed in that sea of glass. Fire is always the symbol of judgment. So you got the blue expanse, the sapphire, and then you got fire popping up through it. And of course you've got the 144,000 up there too. So basically these victorious ones had passed through a baptism of fire. They had passed through judgment. They were immune from the fire, which is about to be thrown down from heaven onto the land of Israel. That fire symbolizes judgment. When I said the 144,000, I'm referring to Revelation 15:2. It says those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, those who have been victorious over the Roman Empire and its persecution, that would really not be the 144,000. Those were Jewish Christians. It's the great multitude that followed after the Jewish Christians that we talked about were standing for the Gentile Christians. I think that that's what this is referring to, the Gentile Christians who have overcome the persecution of the Roman church. And, of course, Jewish Christians, uh, the Roman Empire. And, of course, Jewish Christians also were persecuted by the Roman Empire. So these are the people who have overcome the sea beast. They're standing on that sea of glass. They passed through the fire of persecution, and now they're about to see the fire of judgment rain down on the sea beast as well as on the land beast, for that matter, because the sea beast and the land beast were working in close cahoots. Now, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, was the image? That's the image that the land beast had created of the sea beast, and images an idol, so the land beast is idolatry worshiping the sea beast, which shows that Israel is idolatry worshiping the Roman Empire, because Israel said, no, 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 we have no king but Caesar, when they were offered the chance to deliver Jesus from the cross. The number of his name, the number of the sea beast, that, of course, is 666, 666, which, as we pointed out in a previous audio, was the number of Nero, who was the current emperor of the Roman Empire as John was writing his book. Now, these victorious, these Christians who were victorious over the beast, standing on the sea of glass, they were holding harps of God. Now, harp is a symbol of worship, so the victorious ones were like the choir of God in the temple, in the Old Testament temple, singing praises to God. Victorious Christians singing praise to God, not huddled down, waiting for the nuclear bombs to fall like little cockroaches in the desert, standing victoriously on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. 
We go to Revelation 15, verse 3. And they, these victorious Christians, these Christians who were victorious over the beast and the beast's image and the number of his name, they sang the song of Moses. Well, what's the song of Moses? Well, there's two places in Exodus where you can find the song, uh, two songs of Moses, I guess you could put it. Let's look at the one in Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. They're referring to the destruction of the Egyptian troops that were chasing the Israelites into the Red Sea. And, of course, the Israelites made it through, and the sea closed in on the Egyptians, and they drowned. So they had their horses and their riders thrown into the sea, and the Israelites are singing praises about that. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. My song. So Moses sang this song. This is the song of Moses. The Lord is my strength and my song, said the people. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. My salvation. This is a song of salvation. So the new Israel singing the song of Moses has overcome persecution, even as the old Israel did. And that's the point of the reference there in Revelation 15.3. They, the victorious saints, sang the song of Moses. Now, these victorious saints, as we continue in verse 3 in Revelation 15, they also sang the song of the Lamb. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, of course, the Lamb is Jesus, the Lamb standing as if he were slain, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Once more we have praise and worship, one of the great themes of Revelation. Jesus is the new deliverer, even as Moses was the old deliverer. Now Jesus is the new deliverer. It's not clear exactly what in particular this song of the Lamb is. In fact, it could just be the quote right here in verse 3, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true, your ways, King of the nations. That could be the song of the Lamb. There's a reference in Revelation 5-9 to a new song. And, of course, Jesus represents that which is new. He's the new Moses. He is in charge of the new Israel. Revelation 5-9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now those who sang a new song in Revelation 5, 9 were the four living creatures and the 24 elders, four living creatures standing for all of nature, and the 24 elders standing for the people of God, 12 Old Testament tribes, 12 apostles for the New Testament so they sang a new song. They, they stand for all the Christians. And then here in Revelation 15, we have all those who have overcome the beast and the image of the beast and the number of his name. That refers to all the Gentile Christians, every Christian, including the Jewish Christians, that, are over, that have overcome the persecution of the Roman Empire. We go to Revelation 15:4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not fear, John says? What he means to say is, who will not be converted? The implication is that most people on the planet will come to worship Jesus. Now, post mills believe that will happen in the New Covenant age of the church, the inner advent period between the first advent and the second advent, and that's what I believe. Pre-mills believe that all these people that are going to come flooding into the kingdom is in a thousand-year future millennium at the end of time. Pie in the sky, by and by. But since I believe the book of Revelation is about the unfolding of the new covenant from AD 30 all the way to the end of time, I believe that this is talking about people getting saved now in our time in 
ladies and gentlemen, we're up to 40% of the planet now in this time of doom and gloom and church apostasy in America and church fecklessness. Somehow, through the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit, people are getting saved all over this planet. And may it continue. I remember the other day I was looking for some testimonies on YouTube. I found one uh, Chinese Christian who was raised near the Changjiang River in China, the Yangtze River in China, and then she had moved somewhere up north, and so I was listening to her testimony. Then they were, there was some guy that had done drugs and worshipped Satan, had tattoos all over his head. And then I saw one for some sorority sister in some college. I said, this ought to be a good testimony. I've never heard a testimony like this. It turns out she lived right down the interstate from me, and she went to a South Carolina University, and she got saved too. So people get saved everywhere, folks, all over the world. We need to keep our heads up despite the fact that we're being persecuted and maligned and marginalized and demonized now. That's okay. People have been doing that at the church for years. Jesus always wins. The world always loses. We need to remember that. In fact, that's the theme of the book of Revelation. He's going to pour out judgment on those who are persecuting the church so that the church can win, so that the church can overcome, so that Christians can overcome by the word of his testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 15:4. going back to our verse, for all the nations will come and worship before you. That's all the Gentile nations, all the nations of the world. Again, that's another theme. Worldwide spread of the gospel, an eternal gospel to be preached to all the nations, as one of those, one of those angels in chapter 14 said. The angel in mid-heaven who had an eternal gospel for the nations. Now, where is John quoting this from, or where is Jesus quoting it from? This is in Isaiah 66:23. Isaiah says this, All mankind will come to worship me. All mankind will come to worship me from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. In other words, all the time. That is a prophecy of worldwide conversion. I'm not a theonomist. But I believe in the progress of the gospel. Psalm 86, 9. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. All the nations. That's the Gentile nations. What will they do? They will bow down before the Lord God Almighty, and they will honor his name. So I forgot to say who was saying this. Who will not fear O Lord and glorify your name? I think that's still part of the song of the Lamb. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And of course, those righteous acts basically are judgment. Judgment upon the heathen. Judgment upon the people who have killed Jesus and who are killing his apostles and who have killed his prophets. Now, this idea of the kingdom of God extending all over the world, for all the nations will come and worship before you. I can't emphasize that enough. That idea is everywhere in the Old Testament. How about Abraham's seed? Remember the promises? Land, offspring, and blessings to the whole, na to the whole world. Land, offspring, seed, Children, descendants shall cover the earth. And who's, who, who are Abraham's children? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And I forgot how the song went. But you know, the idea is that, hey, as a Christian, you are the son of Abraham. This is in Galatians and Romans 4 and Galatians, somewhere in Galatians, that we are the children of Abraham and we are going to cover the earth. As Isaiah said in another place, as the waters cover the sea. Revelation is a book of dominion for all the nations will come and worship before you. We need to remember that instead of worrying about where COVID-19 came from and are we all going to die? Are the riots going to spread to my city and wipe me out? We need to remember all the nations will come and worship before you. You know, I saw something on the internet just the other day that said that there was a huge increase in the number of people who are running across witnessing memes or witnessing audio or videos 
because they're depressed and locked down because of the virus and lots of people getting saved that way. Well, I hope that that has a big impact on the church in America. It's too early to tell yet. It says that they're not generally going to church yet. Of course, they can't go to church. Half of them are shut down. Of course, it's all right to protest and riot. It's not a problem. The virus doesn't affect protesters. It doesn't affect rioters. But if you go to church, well, now, you know, that's going to be a super spreader event and going to kill people. But nonetheless, I suspect that a lot of people are going to come to Christ because of this COVID-19 virus, and I hope so. But at any rate, our emphasis ought to be on the positive. All the nations will come and worship before you, O Lord. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Very few. We go to Revelation 15:5. After this I looked, that's I, John, looked, and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Now, I'm using the Holman Christian Study Bible translation here. The other translations were a little bit confusing here. I like this translation the best. This heavenly temple, that, of course, is where the, the well, it is the holy, it corresponds to the holy of holies in the earthly temple. It's where God's throne is. And, of course, in the earthly temple is where the Ark of the Covenant is and the Shekinah glory is, the presence of God seated on his throne. The Ark is his throne. The Shekinah glory is God sitting on the throne. And here in the heavenly temple, in John's vision, we see Jesus. We see God sitting on the throne. So, basically, right in the middle of his vision is the holy of holies. And he looked, and, he see, and he's looking at this heavenly temple, and then he sees the tabernacle of testimony was opened. Well, this is, tabernacle is an apposition with temple, the heavenly temple, which is the tent of testimony. In other words, where the law of God is kept. In the Old Testament, the law of God was kept in the Holy of Holies, in the ark, the, the two tablets of stone. And so here in this heavenly temple, and I don't know what it looked like to John, but somehow he saw a testimony tablets of stone or something corresponding to tablets of stone now of course we're in the new covenant now so basically the tablets of stone the old covenant is now represented by the new covenant law of christ remember jesus is standing as a lamb of slain right in front of this throne so somehow john saw the law of christ because in the new covenant the church is the temple that holds the testimony of god the heavenly temple now in the vision. That's the New Testament church, not the Old Testament church, even though it corresponds to the Old Testament church. It represents the New Testament church, the tabernacle of testimony. In other words, the the place where the law of Christ exists. Now that means that the New Covenant church has got the responsibility to spread the law of Christ to the nations so that Jesus will rule the earth with a rod of iron through his New Covenant laws that you love one another even as you love God the Father, that you obey the words of Christ and his apostles. Now this tabernacle in the vision was opened. What does that mean? Well, in the, new, in the new covenant, we have confident access to the throne through an open veil. In the old covenant, you just couldn't go walking into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the Shekinah glory was because you'd be struck dead. But now in the heavenly temple, this is the new covenant, you can walk right in there because it's open because you've been covered with the blood of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. We go down to verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 15. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now when John says the seven angels had the seven plagues, I think he's speaking a little bit in advance because they didn't actually have the plagues yet until the, one of the four living creatures gave them the seven bowls full of plagues. But that's a minor point. They came out of the temple. Now, what's coming out of the temple is judgment. 
The temple again, of course, is the area around the throne of God in John's vision. The angels are carrying judgment from the temple. So now the church, remember the temple is now the new covenant church, the church will be carrying forth judgment on the land and on the world. Judgment on the on the land of Israel and judgment on the uh, the nations of the world. This is a nice reversal of fortunes. The persecuted church now becomes the church which executes judgment. Now these angels, they were clothed in linen, clean and bright. Bright linen stands for purity, just like with the Old Testament priest. They stand for the righteousness of God. He's going to get rid of the evil that's polluting his creation. These angels, these seven angels, were girded around their chest with golden sashes, just like Jesus was dressed in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. This, I suppose, shows that the angels are executing the wrath of the Lamb because they're identified with Jesus because they're wearing the same golden sashes. Now the bowls, one of the four living creatures, we don't know which one, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. Now, what are these bowls? A couple of options. One is their incense bowls. Now, I don't believe this for a minute, but let me just run it by you as an option. Revelation 5:8. when he took the scroll, that's Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the 24 elders had golden bowls filled with incense, but that was prayers. That's not judgment. How can, what has that got to do with judgment? Prayers are the same. I mean, indirectly it does. I guess you pray for judgment, and then judgment comes down. But that's, that's not a, a direct reference, in my humble opinion. I think that these bowls are referring to wine cups or libation bowls. The Old Testament priests would take a bowl, pour wine in it, and pour it over the altar. And John, in the book of Revelation often uses that figure of a wine bowl talking about pouring out the wrath of God, which is what's happening here. These seven angels are the wrath of God coming down on the land. Revelation 14, 9, second part of the verse, and verse 10, If any man worship the beast in his image, that's the sea beast, the Roman Empire, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. So wine is compared to the wrath of God. God pours his wine into a cup, and he calls it the cup of his indignation, which means the cup of his wrath, and then he pours it out on whoever he's going to pour judgment on. Revelation 16, verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. This is referring to those on the land, in the land of Israel, the apostate Israel. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So instead of wine coming out of a cup, Blood comes out of a cup. So they would have sort of a connection between wine and blood. They're both red. So that makes sense. Revelation 16:19 In the great city, that's Babylon, the great Jerusalem, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. A cup which has wine in it. What is the wine? It's God's wrath, and that wrath is fierce. So you think of a cup full of wine, think of a cup full of God's wrath getting ready to be poured out on somebody. That's a great symbol. So now we move to Revelation chapter 15, verse 8, and we'll finish the chapter. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now the smoke in the temple, that of course corresponds to the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament tabernacle. It symbolized the presence of God with his people. The Shekinah glory is the presence of God. 
just like the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is with his people. And so that could be one reference of the symbol here. Smoke means the presence of God. And also it means that God is about to rain down destruction on his enemies because smoke is usually accompanied with destruction. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, power, power. God has enough power to do whatever he wants. I don't care how strong, whether he's Adolf Hitler or Paul Pot or Mao Zedong or Xi Jinping. I don't care how strong that he thinks, the, the dictator thinks he is. God is more powerful than he is. No one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Can't enter the temple because no one can face the wrath of God. I have a, an idea about this. This is my own idea. You can take it with a train of salt. I wonder if John is referring to the idea that people coming into the kingdom of God, into the temple, were hindered by the apostate Jews. And so when the wrath on the apostate Jews, the wrath on the land was finished, then people could enter the temple because they weren't hindered anymore. I don't know. That could be. But at any rate, verse 8 ends on a note of wrath and judgment. The wrath of God. Something that the modern wussy-pussy new evangelical church is scared to death of. The seeker-friendly Andy Stanley type of churches, the Joel Osteens of this world, have completely and utterly ignored. You wonder whether they ever read their Bibles. Because God is a God of wrath. He doesn't put up with, except for a period of time in order to give us a chance to repent. He doesn't put up with people who are going to destroy his plans or his creation. And especially not his church. Ladies and gentlemen, with that optimistic note of dominion, we have now finished Revelation 15 and prepare ourselves for our next audio, which will cover Revelation 16, 1 through 11, the first five bold judgments. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.